In terms of trade-offs now, because there's more customers, because there's more feature requests, there definitely are a lot of trade-offs to be made. I guess at some point I want to improve the database and try and make it a bit more scalable. But right now, the, nobody has ever complained about the speed of the product, like how, how fast it loads, or there's, there's no one saying, oh, this is so slow. So right now we're, we're just going to stick to Firebase. For now, it's still really, really capable. But I think sometime in the future, there's going to be a, a switch where, you know, it, it changes. I'm Marie Ng, and I'm the founder of Llama Life. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today, how Marie Ung built the best platform for you to say goodbye to those never-ending lists in Hello to Daily Bliss. All this and more on Code Story. Marie Ung was born in Malaysia, but grew up in Australia. She's lived and worked in London and New York City, so you could say she's been all over. She has a dog named Homer and ensures that he maintains his celebrity status on social media. While she was learning how to code for the third time, she changed the learning method to working on an actual project. After she completed an early version of a to-do list, she got great feedback from her following on Twitter. Though she didn't plan to turn it into a business, people started supporting the project. This is the creation story of Llama Life. So Llama Life is a productivity tool, and it is all about helping people increase their focus and their attention. There are obviously a lot of productivity tools on the market. It's a very crowded space. Most of those tools focus on helping you create a to-do list, like add things to your to-do list. And most of us are pretty good at adding things to our list, so our list just gets longer and longer. Llama Life is about helping you work through that list by increasing your focus. And it does that by making it very, very fun to complete a task. And it also helps you focus on one thing at a time. At its core, it uses a concept called time boxing. So it uses a lot of timers and you can essentially set a timer for every single task that you have. It's a countdown timer, not a stopwatch. So it goes down. This kind of creates this positive constraint on what you're doing. It actually makes you feel a lot more uh, purposeful in what you're doing and choosing what you work on. But essentially it's it's trying to make people feel good about what they're doing and work through a to-do list, not just make the to-do list. It was quite serendipitous because I was learning to code. Um, I've, I've always been tech savvy. I've always liked technology and I've actually tried to learn to code several times before. So this is my third attempt. The first two times I learned or tried to learn was through reading. So I was trying to read a book about coding and that, that never really stuck with me. I'm just not really a book reader. This third time, I decided to change the learning method and I started watching YouTube videos. And this was during the start of the pandemic. So it was kind of 20, around 2020. Everybody was learning a new skill. So, you know, a lot of my friends were learning to cook. But I, I thought, well, 
you know, maybe I should just try and learn to code again. Like, let's try and revisit that because I love building things. I've always liked building Lego, you know, as a child. I like the creation process. So I thought, well, let's try again. Let's try a different way. You know, when you learn to code, one of the things you, you do is practice. Like everybody builds a to-do list because it's a really good way of learning how to work with a database, um, to work with data, like create a task, delete a task, move or manipulate a task around that database. So I built a very, very early version of Llama Life. I think it was four months in. So four months after I said, yeah, let's, let's see if I can learn how to learn some HTML, CSS, some JavaScript. Um, around four months later, I, I built a very basic to-do list and I put it on Twitter. Immediately somebody said, oh, I really like this design or, you know, I really want this. And the tweet's still out there. You can find it today if you go all the way back on, on my timeline. But somebody said, I want this. And I was like, oh, okay, interesting. And at that time, it didn't really have any timers attached to each task. It was super basic, but they liked the minimalist design. I didn't really have any plans to turn it into a business at that point. It was really just a learning thing for me. There wasn't really that much pressure on me because I approached it more as like, how can I learn how to do these things? And it kind of just grew over time, like slowly grew over time. It, it got a following on Twitter. People started being interested in the journey of this product coming to life and it got a few supporters, then it got more supporters. And then I started getting emails from people saying, hey, I, I really like this. It really helps me because I'm having trouble focusing. You know, the pandemic's a stressful time. A lot of us are working from home. We're juggling a lot of tasks. For a bit of background, I also have ADHD. I got diagnosed about 10 years ago or 11 years ago now. And I've always tried to find tools that help with my focus, but I couldn't really find something that, you know, was just right for me. So a lot of Llama Life is me expressing the kinds of features that I want that I can't find in one single tool. I might have been able to find it across, you know, four or five tools, but I'm kind of just putting it all into one package and tweaking it to how to how I like and apparently that resonates with a lot of other people too. Let's dive into the MVP then. So tell me about that first product you built for Llama Life. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? So it's, it's tricky, right? So I guess it depends how we want to define MVP. First version I just mentioned then, which took, you know, four months from the day I said, hey, I want to learn how to code to pushing it out. I don't know if that's an MVP of, of Llama Life because it didn't have the key feature, the key features that we see today. And by key features, I'm talking about this time boxing aspect, the, the timers, the countdown timers. I guess it had some fun to it. It had confetti in it from the very first version. But I, I wouldn't call that the MVP. I would say the MVP, the proper product was about three months after that. So it was seven months. Maybe even like a few months after that, I put it on product hunt. That was kind of the official launch, which was August 2020. That's not typical though. So I've done a few startups before Llama Life. And if I'm building an MVP, I would probably want to push it out in the shortest time possible, maybe like a week or two weeks, and perhaps even using some no-code tools or even just talking to a customer or doing something manually. So I wouldn't say this is a typical kind of MVP example because because of the the learning to code aspect. So everything was was actually coding. It was, you know, it was HTML, CSS, JavaScript. If 
I was doing a, a true startup from the beginning, I probably wouldn't have done it that way, especially because I was still new to coding. I, I would have tried to do it some way that was that was faster. You know, you, you touch on that with the speed of development, and and I I assume there's a lot more in there about how you you know made certain decisions and trade offs when you were building that original product. So tell me about some of those that you had to make. You know, maybe it's around speed of development, but also maybe around feature cut or technical debt, and how how you coped with those decisions. So so maybe we fast forward, you know, to kind of where where it is now, because I think a lot of the decisions that you that you're talking about, I'm thinking about now. So when I was first creating the product, um, it was more from that that learning standpoint, right? So I was taking a little bit more time, and those decisions didn't really factor in as much. Actually, I will say at that point when I was learning, I did take a Jamstack kind of methodology, a Jamstack approach to, to the coding because I was more front end. So I learned JavaScript. Then I picked up a few frameworks like React. And because it was more front end, you know, I was looking for tools and services that, that I could use. I didn't really want to go like complete full stack at the beginning. I just wanted to push out the product. I guess there were some decisions early on like that. So I picked, you know, Firebase for the database that was really easy to work with, you know, being a being a more of a front-end developer. And that way I didn't have to go learn sort of like, you know, a MERN or like a full stack kind of approach and SQL and all that stuff. And um, I guess that was something I, I picked early on. But in terms of trade-offs now, because there's more customers, because there's more feature requests, there definitely are a lot of trade-offs to be made. I guess at some point I want to improve the database and try and make it a bit more scalable. But right now, the, nobody has ever complained about the speed of the product, like how, how fast it loads, or there's, there's no one saying, oh, this is so slow. So right now we're, we're just going to stick to Firebase. For now, it's still really, really capable. But I think sometime in the future, there's going to be a, a switch where, you know, it, it changes maybe MongoDB or something like that. But but right now, that's not priority. So the priority right now is trying to get to a lot of these feature requests that customers have and figuring out which feature requests really fit the product because we get a lot of emails. Like, it's kind of crazy. I've never had this many emails for a product. I've done four startups before this and none of them really had the, the passion that we see from the customers today. Um, so a lot of it is about prioritizing which things get done and then of course like how they get done. So it might not be perfect, but it's more important to kind of get it out there as quickly as possible. So actually that's a perfect segue into my next question. So how are you planning to progress the product and mature it? And and to put that in a box, I'm looking for how you're going to build your roadmap and and then decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. So a lot of it's from customer feedback. These emails that we we get, they're very detailed. It's not just it's not just, hey, can you add this feature? Uh, a lot of people write, you know, the several it's several paragraphs. It's like a if I'm looking at my laptop screen, it's like a 13-inch screen, it, it will it will take up the whole screen. So people are very passionate about this and they're explaining, you know, why why they want this feature. But in terms of building out that roadmap, I look at the customer feedback coming in, but I also think about, you know, what is this product meant to do? And it's really, really easy for a, a product to get really diluted 
And what I mean by that is like you see a lot of a lot of tools start off and they're really they're really focused when they start off and over time they just get everything <laughs> under the kitchen sink added to it and then you look at it and go what is this product is it an all-in-one tool and maybe that's okay if that's the goal but for Llama Life the, the the mission behind the whole company and the product is to help people increase their focus and be able to work in a way where they can achieve calm, focused productivity. You know, I think of I think of, you know, two people having the same to-do list and those two people might get through their lists in a given day. But one person might finish the day feeling quite calm and accomplished, but the second person who did exactly the same work might fi- finish the day feeling quite hectic and stressed. So what Llama Life is meant to do is it's Obviously, we're kind of designing for the former. We want people to feel calm and accomplished. But how do you how do you add features to a product over time that that always keep hitting that mission? So, whenever I get a request, I, I kind of think, well, is this going to add to increasing focus and increasing calm and making the product fun? I have a list of statements or a list of words that I think describe the product. It's it's not like a formal check, but it's just kind of a mental check when I get a request. Like, does this does this match the product? Because it's quite easy to add stuff in, but it's harder to make sure you're adding the right stuff in. As mentioned at the beginning of the, of the pod, there's so many productivity apps. So I want to make sure this product remains true to its mission. And, and I don't mind keeping it kind of of a, of a niche product around focus. And it's really not meant to be like a project management tool because a lot of productivity apps start off simple, then they become this massive project management tool. I don't mind that it doesn't go that direction. Instead, what I'm focusing on is things like integration. So you might have a project management tool like, say, Asana or Jira or Trello, integrating with those tools and becoming part of a workflow, kind of the tip of the workflow where it's just about focusing for that day and getting through what you need to get done, that's where Llama Life sits. So all feature requests kind of are looked at with that lens. Well, let's switch to team. And and I understand, right, it's it's a two-person team right now. Is that right? It is, yeah. So I made my first hire um, at the beginning of 2022. So that's about six months ago now. And I actually, we've, we've just hired, so it's me and one other person, um, she focuses on more of the the content, the community aspect, and partnerships. Um, so more of kind of the marketing side and community building side. And I'm focusing on dev at the moment, and obviously all the business side and marketing. Basically, I still do every a bit of everything as you have to with a small person team. But we actually just hired a third person, so um, he's going to be uh, a full stack developer. So I think that will help take some of the pressure off me, you know, in terms of getting some of these feature requests out, because we, we do have a roadmap for the next 12 months. Obviously, some of that can change depending on the requests we get, but we have a plan. I think it's important to have a plan. Plan doesn't mean you have to stick to it. It just means you've you've got something to, to guide you and then you can make decisions whether you want to veer off that plan or not. This will be interesting. You're, you're super early, um, but I'm going to ask this uh, just open-ended. Are you building this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you going to be fighting this as you grow and gain traction? 
Definitely the latter. You know, it, it, it sort of goes back to the priority question and the trade-off question. We're still trying to find product market fit, so there are definitely signs of early product market fit. So we know that the users are very passionate, but what we want to do is make sure we're designing something that people stick to and the retention is sort of maintained over time. So we're still figuring that out. So there is excitement about the product, but we, we need to make sure that that is maintained. And we also need to figure out which marketing channels work the best in terms of bringing in people into that funnel, kind of creating awareness of the product, bringing them through, getting them to try the product, getting them to stick around, getting them to convert to a paid user because the product has a free, a free plan and a paid plan. So all of that is, you know, we're trying to figure all of that out now. So if we, if we build for scale now, then that's going to take some focus off that. And you don't want to build for scale unless you know exactly kind of what's working and what's not, because you might have to change stuff along the way. So right now we build as much as we can. So the product is stable and it works well. It provides a good experience for customers, but we'll kind of be, you know, We'll kind of be playing a bit cat of cat and mouse as we scale because it's kind of not the priority at, at the moment. So we'll dial up, we'll dial up certain servers when we need it. We'll, we'll probably go through a big database restructure, but when we need it and, and right now we, we definitely don't, don't need that. Well, Marie, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I think I'm most proud of the fact that it's helping, it's helping people. And the emails and the community that have been formed around the product, um, getting those emails from customers, it's, it's very, very um, rewarding. It's very satisfying. It feels very fulfilling that we're creating a product that is actually having some impact on people's lives. Um, it's hard to describe it on, on the pod, but it, the, the people that write to us are very emotional because, you know, there, there's different kinds of customers some customers are already quite productive and they're trying to level up their productivity Uh, but there's other customers who are really struggling and they're trying to use the product to get to some level of quote-unquote sort of normalcy in their lives because they're they're coming from a place of of struggle so I think that's what I'm most proud of it's the, the overall impact that it's it's having on customers and the fact that people take time to write to us you know, and they're not one-liners. They're kind of they're quite lengthy emails. Um, I'm quite proud of that, and and quite grateful that people take the time to do that because it really helps shape the product. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. So, tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I don't know if it's a an actual mistake because we we're experimenting a lot. So the way we look at it right now is, is we're just trying a lot of new things. Some of them are going to work, some of them are not going to work. When the product first started, um, well, when it first started, it was a free product. Um, and then over time, I added some payment options to it. Um, it started as a one-time payment, then it went to a subscription. And the price points have changed over time just as the product matured and added more value. Recently, we added the free tier, which just is more of a freemium model where you could use the product for free, but it's got limited features. And then for um, those who would like to, they can pay for you know the extra features. That resulted in a little bit of a, 
I don't want to say exodus because that's kind of a strong word, but there were a lot of people who were on a paid plan that actually cancelled because the free version was enough. We, we did expect that that would happen, but we didn't expect that it would happen to this degree. But I would call it something that we probably underestimated the impact. So I guess you could say it was a mistake from that, that point of view. It's very easy to have a, a panic attack and go, oh my gosh, like we're suddenly losing users, we're losing paid users, and at the same time not adding as many new paid users because people are going, well, maybe the free plan's enough. There's also a question of, do you have enough paid features for the product to actually split it into a, a freemium model? Because it's still quite a, a, a young product, it's still quite a new product. Do you actually have enough features to make that split between free and paid? I guess on the surface you could go, well, that was a mistake because growth has, has slowed a little bit. But then you need to kind of think long term as well because it's only been a month. The bet that you make when you do a freemium model is that the free plan is going to help you increase your distribution, increase your reach because it'll be accessible to more people. And if you can have a larger pie overall of users, hopefully even if your conversion is, is a little bit lower because your pie is larger, your revenue and your conversion will eventually lead to more revenue. So that's the bet that we make when we do a freemium model. And I would say it's still too early to know if that's working. So I guess from a mistake point of view, the response is, well, just don't panic just yet. You need to give it a bit of time. But at the same time, we're also watching it really closely. We're looking at metrics. Are there other metrics that are increasing from this change as a result of this change? So there is a more engagement because you've got more free users so we'll see how it goes. It's, it's still, like I said, a month in, but, but I try not to look at it as a mistake, right? It's kind of just something that's happened and we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. If it's not working, then we'll have to make another change. But uh, I think it's important to define, how do you say that something's working or not? Is it a revenue metric? Is it an engagement metric? Like, what is the lens that you're looking at this through? What does the future look like for Llama Life, the product and for your team? We did raise some um, some capital for the product. So originally I was bootstrapping it. I bootstrapped it to around 700 paid customers. And then from that point, we raised a little bit of capital. We've got some US investors and also an Australian investor. So in the US, we've got like Jason, Jason Calacanis um, has invested in, in the product. In Australia, we have um, Black Sheep Capital is a VC firm here. And it's important to mention that because, you know, as we talk about, you know, what's an important metric, revenue or engagement, ideally you would have both, ideally. But if you had to pick one, um, it's very hard to go for an engagement metric over a revenue metric if you're bootstrapping a product. Because, you know, obviously bootstrapping, they're, they're your own funds and you need to make sure that you can survive. With some VC funds, it's a, very, it's, it's a small amount, it's like a pre-seed round. Um, with some VC funds, it gives you a bit more breathing room, a bit more flexibility to say, well, okay, well, if we're not growing the revenue, can we grow the engagement? Is there a story to tell there with the engagement metrics to try and figure out what's working and what's not? It just gives you a little bit more space to breathe. So I would say in the future, you know, that's kind of where we're at. We've got a bit of cash now. I'm not planning to increase the team size more than three at this point. A lot of people are pulling back, not just 
not just from a funding perspective, but also just customers. We've seen in the past couple of months, people have, have written to us saying, you know, funds are tight at the moment, so I'm just trying to pull back on some of my subscription services. We'll be building out a lot of the customer requests that we've been sitting on just because we haven't had enough time in the day to, to do them, um, with me being the, the only developer at the moment. Well, Marie, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person that you look up to and why. I actually don't think there's one person that really that really influences the way I work. I mean, I could I could kind of take the easy way out and like name some big tech CEO, but I I don't really have one person. If I'm honest, I kind of I I think I'm, I like to be my own person, it, and, and I and I try and. You know, I obviously read the tech news and I, I look at how people make decisions, but I honestly don't think there's one sort of famous person I could name that actually influences the way I work. Well, okay, we talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different or where would you consider taking a different approach? I would start building in public earlier. The reason Llama Life came about and the reason it's got the support it has now is because I've been building in public uh, on Twitter. So building in public just means, you know, kind of sharing what I'm doing day to day, any ups and downs, talking about product decisions, kind of taking people through the, the journey of the product. And if I could go back to the beginning, I think I would try and do that earlier you know, what it does is it helps build a, a following. It builds a community around the product. You know, that's really helpful if you're doing something like a product hunt launch or even just marketing. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people, a lot of friends I have on Twitter. I'd, I'd call them friends now. Like there's a lot of people on Twitter who are kind of my Twitter friends and they help promote the product. You know, they're actually users of the product, but they also help promote the product. You know, it's, it's really that sense of community and I think I would I would try and do that a bit earlier. I kind of stumbled into it, but there's a very deliberate movement around building in public. And if you can get on that early, actually share share your journey and have something interesting to say that people want to follow, then it can actually help you a lot down the track. So imagine if you had you know tens of thousands of followers. That's a lot of reach and a lot of amplification you can get just from a single tweet. So I'm still early in that journey, but I think it's, it's, I can definitely see how it's helped the product. So I would do that earlier. Well, Marie, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give them at having gone down this road a bit? Probably just advise them to surround themselves with great people because I don't you know it's very hard to build a product alone and sometimes when you're in your own head making decisions you know it's not great I think it's good to seek out advice from other people I've seen this in sort of you know my, my corporate work as well before when I was in a corporate job you look at the CEO in a, in a corporate company and they're really only as good as the people around them right they the CEO's job is is to make good decisions and to motivate the team around them to produce good work. But in order to make those good decisions, I think they need to seek out the advice. You can't be an expert on everything. So it's it's always good to find the right people who are experts in their field that you trust and can help you make the right decision. 
you should always seek out different opinions. So I think I would just say surround yourself with the right people and you're still making the decisions, but you've got to have like the right options given by the right people. That's a fantastic answer. I appreciate that. That's great advice. Well, Marie, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Llama Life. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. <laughs>